All right, that's enough. Settle down. <laughs> At this time, we'll ask the ushers to come forward to receive the offering, and as they do, go over some of the announcements for upcoming events. We're starting a uh, small groups for couples night. It'll be the second Saturday of each month at 7 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. This new format will be starting on April 14th. And the way it'll work is we'll break up into groups of four to five couples and discuss a passage of Scripture and then spend some time praying for one another. You don't need to sign up. Just show up on April 14th and the second Saturday of each month. Child care and refreshments will be provided. So... Sounds like a good opportunity to get involved as couples. There's, the women's ministry is having a girls' night out, a movie night on Friday, April the 13th at 7 p.m. Uh, the movie is free, but the cost for food is $3 a person or 2 for $5. I don't know how you just find someone else to come with you, I guess, and get a discount. If you, pay, if you, pay, if you get them to pay 3 you can just pay 2 So I guess that's the incentive. But uh, you can get tickets in the foyer or at the women's Bible study meetings. Uh, the high school girls' discipleship group will meet today during third service out in the bus. For the first time today, they're tr trying out the heaters in the bus because it's a little chilly out there, so it sounded like it was working okay. College and Career Fellowship meets tonight at 7 p.m. in the fellowship hall. As always, our GTO and Go ministry meets on Friday nights at 6.30 if you like to go out and street witness, or if you just like a little training in that, um, come on out on Friday nights at 6.30. Our men's ministry will meet this Saturday at 8 a.m. in the fellowship hall. And also this Saturday, for junior high and high school kids, there's an amazing race. It's a car rally type of thing. We've done them before, and they're a lot of fun. So if you have a junior high or high school, or even if they've never been to the youth group, have them invite a couple of their friends and Come on out for the amazing race. You do need to sign up so they know how many to expect. The cost is $10, includes the food and everything. So sign up in the foyer or in one of the youth uh, rooms. Remember the couples retreat coming up May 4th through the 6th. Get signed up for that. There are signups back in the foyer for our couples retreat that's meeting at the Ayers Hotel in Costa Mesa. Should be a great time. Now let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Moving really closely to the end of Philippians chapter 4, probably just today and next Sunday, and then we will be finished with this book. And next we're going to be moving into the book of 1 Corinthians. We uh, actually, first service, I told the people I was trying to decide between 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians, and so I let first service vote, and they voted 1 Corinthians. So that's what we're going to do. Sorry you didn't get represented. It only goes to people who get up early in the morning. <laughs> Here in Philippians chapter 4, remember the whole letter to the Philippians was occasioned by a contribution that the church there in Philippi had made to Paul and to his ministry. But he spent the first three and a half chapters talking about other things, and then he finally gets down to addressing the whole matter of this gift. I think when we talk about giving, 
and receiving and the lessons that go along with that, it's often an uncomfortable thing for us to discuss. It gets near and dear to our hearts because most of what we do all day long is to try to acquire enough money in order to, you know, be able to survive and to do all the things that we want to do and need to do. And often money can become much too important to us. But also we're a little uncomfortable with it, perhaps as even Paul was, because there are so many people for whom money means everything. And there have been people throughout history who have used godliness as a means to gain, as Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. There are those who have always created a hustle that would say, let me tell you how you need to give me your money because I represent God. And that's bogus. You can see it when it's coming. But there's also, and the Bible has a whole lot to say about giving and about finances and what our relationship is with them. There's really no reason why we should be nervous or uncomfortable about it. If the Bible teaches on it, we need to do that. I certainly don't go out of my way to do it, and truth be told, I, I just as soon avoid it. But here in the rest of this chapter is an important section of Scripture that will give us insights into this matter of materialism and this matter of giving. And it starts primarily today, the verses that we will look at this morning, are about contentment what it is to be content and how you can learn to be content. And Paul then uses that as a springboard to talk further about giving. And so next Sunday, we will be looking more at some of the biblical principles of giving that we see here. So if you're really uncomfortable or you just don't want to hear anything about giving, you'll probably be okay today. You won't be too uncomfortable. But next week, you might want to just stay home because (laughs) it's talking about it. And now... Please, there are some really important lessons to learn. If we're going to find contentment, this is one way we get it. The scripture, my God shall supply all your needs that we will see next week there, verse 19, is tied in intimately with this concept of contentment and giving. But when the Bible talks about it, we'll talk about it, and so we will. Beginning in verse 10, Paul introduces the subject and then almost seems to get sidetracked but really he's laying a foundation in verse 10 he says I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again though you surely did care but you lacked opportunity a little awkward he's saying man I'm so glad that you were able to once again give to me he said I know you cared even when you weren't giving but came at a really good time that you would give and then beginning with verse 11 not that I speak in regard to need for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content I know how to be abased that is I know how to be humbled and squashed and I know how to abound or to overflow everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Contentment. The, the, wor- the Greek word here that's used for content is, is a word 
autarkes. It's a word that is two words put together. One of them, autos, is a word that means yourself. And arkase is a word that means strength. So put together, the word contentment means strengthen yourself. It's, it's used to refer to self-sufficiency. Now here in the context, obviously, he's going to point out that he's trusting in Jesus Christ, and that's why he is able to be self-sufficient. But he's saying that I've learned to be content. Contentment really is what everyone's looking for, that feeling of satisfaction, of completeness. It's kind of the holy grail of life in a way. So much of what we do is trying to be content, trying to get to the point where it finally feels like I can relax. It finally feels like my life is what it should be. I have enough money. My relationships are satisfying. The purposes of my life are being fulfilled. Things are going great. I'm content. The problem is contentment is something that evades most of us. Contentment is something that always seems like it's just around the corner. It's just down the road. As a result, you don't find very many people who say, I have enough money, or I have everything I want. I don't desire anything else. But here as Paul talks to us, he says, I've learned to be content. It's encouraging to me as he says, I've learned to be content. And then he says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I've learned to be full and to be hungry. Paul's saying, Contentment is something that you can learn. And that's encouraging to me because like everyone, I'd like to be content. And Paul would tell us, you can be. This can be your experience. Imagine what your life would be like. Just use your imagination for a moment and think, what would your life be like if you were completely content? For once in your life, you felt that you had everything that you need. For once in your life, you had a hard time thinking of what else you would want because you just feel so satisfied. What a great feeling that must be. It's something that we can learn. However, it's something that we can learn, but it's not easy to learn. In fact, it's very difficult to learn contentment. Paul was a very smart guy, and yet it seems that his whole life was a process of learning to be content of learning to be satisfied and settled with where he is. And so, and he went through a lot of tough lessons, as we'll see, in order to get to that point. So, it's not going to be easy, but it is something that you and I can learn. It's something, an area in which we can grow in our lives. Now, the deal with contentment is, it can be learned, but the classroom where it's learned is the classroom of life changes. It's the very fact that life is unpredictable that, number one, makes contentment so difficult, but that, number two, allows us the opportunity to be stretched to the point of learning contentment. It's all through these changes. It's all through going through the ups and downs of life. And Paul talks about that as he says, yeah, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Contentment would be relatively easy if life were predictable. 
because you would just get used to being in a certain place and eventually you'd give up on things getting any better and you'd feel pretty settled that, well, nothing's ever changed, so I guess nothing's going to change. I guess it isn't going to get worse. I know my position in life and I'll settle for it. Now, if that were your experience, that would be a certain kind of contentment. But that's not the contentment that works in real life. Because the truth is, life is crazily unpredictable. You just don't know what's going to happen next. It's why money will never satisfy you. It's why money is such a, a wicked God for you. And Jesus said, you can't serve God and money. Because money comes and goes. Easy come, sometimes not so easy. But easy go, definitely. No matter how much money you have, it's never enough because you know you can lose it. Even inflation can take it away from you or a bubble bursting can remove your assets. Whatever it is that you get, money won't make you happy because money is unpredictable. It's a roller coaster. It's a perfect metaphor for the way life is for us. I saw a quote the other day from the governator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and uh, he was saying, you know, money will never make you happy. He said, I'm happy today and I'm worth $50 million. But, you know, I was just as happy when I was worth $48 million. <laughs> <laughs> but really, we can't depend on finances in order to be satisfied. It just doesn't work that way. Paul said, I learned something when I had a lot. And I learned something when I didn't have much. And it would seem that both of those extremes prepared him for the state that he was in now, whereby he was saying, I'm learning. I've got it figured out. I, I'm starting to enjoy a contentment to life. I'm not sure which is harder, to be honest with you. I know which I would choose between being wealthy and being broke. The truth is, though, learning contentment when you have a lot in some ways, is even more difficult than learning contentment when you don't have a lot. For someone who doesn't have much, your possibilities are sometimes dried up. Sometimes there's a sense of, all I want to do is survive. But when you have a little extra, when you pile up some surplus, often there's a temptation to want to compound that, to work really hard to protect that. And so quite often, someone who achieves a certain financial level ends up working more hours and working harder and worrying more. Oh, they say that the one thing that wealth will do is it'll free you up from worrying about money. But most people who have a lot of money have disproven that because some of them worry more than people who don't have much. But Paul had been through both. Paul was born into wealth. He was privileged as a young man. His mother was Jewish, his father was Greek, and they became Roman citizens, which means they had to have considerable assets for that to happen. And then he had a great education at the feet of Gamaliel, the best education money could buy in those days. Didn't come cheaply. Paul became a Pharisee. He was the elite among the leaders of the Jews. The Pharisees in those days were the most wealthy class other than government workers and ruling class people. Most of the houses in the city of Jerusalem were owned by Pharisees and some by Sadducees. It, it paid well. 
So Paul learned about all of that, and he understood that. But he had to come to the end of all that one day when he met Jesus Christ. And he said he counted it all as loss. And then what his life became, oh man, if you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about his experiences, how many times he was beaten with 39 stripes, how many times he was stoned, how many times he was shipwrecked, all of these things that happened to him, and life was difficult for him. And Paul would testify, in those times of plenty and in those times of nothing, I learned lessons, and I learned that contentment that comes from the school of the roller coaster that we call life. And I saw opportunities when I had a lot or when I didn't have much, chances to learn things I couldn't learn any other way. And so he says, I learned it in the good times and in the bad times. I learned to be content. Now, in the school of contentment with the ups and downs of life, the, the bottom line of contentment is that we come to the point where we accept our life right now and what we have as being a part of God's plan for our life. We come to the point where we don't live our lives for something else or somewhere else or something more, but we look at our lives the way they are at this moment and we say, I'm going to choose to be satisfied with what I have. I'm going to choose to say, God knows what he's doing, and I'm okay where I am, because I trust God. It's that, it's that submission to him that says, I'm in a good place. I'm doing okay. I'm on track with what God is doing in my life. And contentment is something that has to happen now. You can't put contentment off. You can't plan for it and prepare for it and hope you get there someday. You can't say, God, I just need to get a few more things and then I'll want contentment. But for each of us, contentment is a decision that we have to make every day of our lives. Am I going to be satisfied where I am right now? The alternative to contentment is that endless striving and struggling to get what we don't have to desire what others have, to try to make more of ourselves. Now, there isn't anything wrong with having dreams and plans and achievements. It's only when we think that those things are connected to contentment that we become tripped up and lost. Contentment happens now. And contentment says, basically, I am choosing to live within my means. In our society, there's a whole lot of push that would shove us in the direction of living beyond our means and hoping that somehow we'll figure out how to pay for things later. And so everyone will extend credit to you. Everyone will say, hey, I'll loan you money. No problem. What buying things on credit is, is saying I want something today and I'm going to pay for it with tomorrow's dollars. The problem with that is that for one thing, you'll never be satisfied. But for another thing, when you live beyond your means right now, what are you going to do tomorrow? You can't live in your means tomorrow because tomorrow you're going to be paying for today because you got so carried away with wanting things that really this wasn't the time for God to give them to you. 
And so, so often we fall into that endless trap where mostly what we're working for is to pay interest on things from our past that we just decided we had to have them, whether God gave them to us or not. Life works a lot by supply and demand. And you can't control the supply. That's the roller coaster. You can do certain things to contribute to your supply, but the one thing that you can have absolute control over is your demand. How much are you going to insist on? Now, you can either decide how you want to live and then scramble and try to figure out a way to pay for it, or you can be content and say, whatever I have, that's enough. Now, that means that if you're trying to keep up with other people, you could get really frustrated because God hasn't given each of us the same amount, the same capacity for possessions or for money. Some people have a lot. Their responsibility is to deal with a lot. Now, we'll see next week as we look at the rest of the chapter and also we'll flip over to 1 Timothy 6 next week and see what God says to rich people and how you should manage wealth when you have it. But that is learning to be content with having a lot and having a little means be satisfied there. It means not always needing to have that bigger house that you can't pay for. Sometimes it means downsizing. It's adjusting what you want based on what you have because you realize and recognize that God is good and he has given you all that you need. There was a song a few years ago by Cheryl Crow where she talked about, about not having diddly squat. And she said, but it's not, having, it's not getting what you want. It's wanting what you've got. Then she said, I'm going to soak up the sun and tell everyone to lighten up. That is a, that's a thought that comes from the heart of God. Soak up the sun, you can spell it S-O-N if you want, and lighten up. Get rid of some of the baggage. Let go of the things that are pulling us down. Decide at some point to just draw the line and go, you know, I don't need anything else. I'm going to adjust my standard of living to what God has given me. I'm not going to play that game of always chasing for more. I want to be satisfied. I want to be content. Paul said he figured that out. He was able to learn contentment, satisfaction where he is. Now, as you read through the passage, it becomes clear that Jesus Christ is central to contentment because he says, after saying all that he learned in hunger and in being full. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ultimately, our wealth, our riches, are in Christ. Paul figured this out. We saw, well, earlier in, uh, it, when he said in Galatians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, and, or in Philippians. And then in Philippians 3, he said, I had all this stuff, and I counted it all as dung compared to knowing Christ. I decided that knowing him meant more than everything else I had. And it's true when we really discover a relationship with him, that's what really has the capacity to cause us to be satisfied, to cause us to realize into the road for the, for the rat race, for that hamster wheel that we think is going to someday lead us to success. Now, when we do that, again, it's a commitment to saying, I have Jesus now. I want him now. Jesus told the parable over in Luke's gospel 
about a guy who was very wealthy. And he kept getting more and more, and he goes, what am I going to do? And it said he built more barns, and he stocked up everything, and he said, now I can relax and enjoy it. Now is the time when I can finally enjoy the fruit of my labor. And God said, you fool, you're going to die tonight. Your soul will be required of you. You blew it. Because you didn't appreciate what you had. You were so stingy, you were saving it all for a rainy day. And you didn't live your life for today. And Jesus would say, you know, as Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't say plug us into a bread store. Give us enough bread so that if bad things happen, we'll have enough. No, daily bread, that's all you need. Paul told Timothy, you know, if you have food and clothes, you're set. You're okay. Why? Because Jesus Christ is enough. Over in Hebrews chapter 13, there's a great verse you can turn over there if you'd like. Hebrews 13 and beginning with verse 5. Paul said, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. He was quoting Sheryl Crow there. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. See that? It's like, I have him. He's saying, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. You have me. What more do you want? What more could you possibly need than to have him saying he'll take care of you? If that won't give us contentment, I'm not sure what will. Over in the 23rd Psalm, and you know we're all pretty familiar with that psalm. It's a great psalm of comfort. I almost always read it when I'm doing a funeral because of how it talks about life and, and the afterlife and how God is enough for us. But the psalm says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yeah, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What more could you want? There is a story about a little kid who memorized the 23rd Psalm and was supposed to get up in front of the church and quote it. Studied really hard, parents worked, finally the day came. And he's all dressed up, a little tie and everything, and he got up on the platform and he froze up. He looked at the audience and just couldn't remember a thing. And his mom was in the front row saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And he goes, okay, um, the Lord is my shepherd and... That's all I want. And he walked <laughs> off. And that is an amazing commentary on the 23rd Psalm. That's the deal. The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. 
Contentment comes when we understand who Jesus Christ is. That he makes everything else irrelevant ultimately. That whatever it is, the changes that we face, the difficulties and trials that come into our lives, he is enough for us. He will see us through. And when he blesses us with a lot, he'll show us what to do with it. He'll keep us from worrying about losing it. He'll allow us that spirit of generosity. And then when we don't have a lot, we'll know we're going to be okay. He's going to see us through. And we can learn that satisfaction and that contentment that everybody wants. And it only comes from being plugged into Jesus Christ and understanding who he is to us. Back when in Genesis, when Abraham, Abraham had to go rescue his nephew Lot one time, and some other kings came and attacked the kings of Sodom, and Abraham went to their defense and defended the kings of Sodom, delivered them, and the kings of Sodom wanted to give Abraham a bunch of rewards for what he had done. And they said, Abraham, this is your lucky day. We're going to make you rich. And Abraham did a courageous thing, foolish thing, some people might say. Abraham said, you know what? Keep all your stuff. I don't want anything from you. He said, if I'm rich, I want God to make me rich. Keep it. And then he turned and he went to God and he goes, "Uh, God, uh, (laughs) you see that? (laughs) What are you going to give me? And God said, Abraham, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. He really is. He is our wealth. He is everything. Whatever else we have or what we don't have, it's just details. It's not what we live for. It's not what matters to us. Now, finally, the last thing in this passage, also in verse 13. So often when we think of contentment, we think of leisure. We think of almost laziness and lethargy. Boy, when I finally retire, I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. But contentment isn't lethargy or laziness. If you do that for a little while, you'll realize it's why sometimes people retire and they die shortly afterwards. Every once in a while, we can be thinking, you know, I will think, boy, could I use a couple days to just do nothing? That would feel so good. And then something happens to me, I'm sick or injured or something, and I have to spend a few days doing nothing. And I just go nuts. Because we're not created to loaf around. We're not created to do nothing. Contentment does not mean we don't do anything. It means that we can do all things. I can do all things, Paul said, through Christ who strengthens me. There's no limit to what I can do because I am not encumbered by this burden of making success happen. I'm not encumbered by the worry of, uh-oh, what if tomorrow comes and it's not what I expect? I have him. I'm trusting him. I can go for it. If he calls me to spend my last dime today, I'll know that he'll be there tomorrow to help me. If, I, if he calls me to do something that just seems impossible, it's a lesson. And even if it doesn't work out, it's a lesson toward contentment. I'm moving in the direction of learning to be content. But that is an incredibly empowering thing. Most of the time, we are limited in what we do by our own fear. We're afraid it's not going to work. We're afraid of what it's going to cost. 
We're afraid of what people might think. But it's an amazing thing when we become truly content, when we let go of what we thought was our security and, let, and yet really what it was is what was holding us back from security. When we make that choice, we realize, wow, I'm feeling pretty good. I want to do some crazy things for God. I realize there aren't limits on me. The only limits on me were me. And I already decided that's not going to hold me back. And then we find out I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, whenever you quote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you should also keep John 15.5 in mind. That's a verse where Jesus said, you need to abide in me. Because he said, without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can't do anything. But with me, you can do all things. It's our choice. Which way are we going to live? How are we going to spend our lives? How are we going to spend our resources? What are we going to choose to invest in? A shaky future that'll never quite make it? Or will we make that decision? Will we make that life choice to say, I want it to be all about Jesus. I want to be free. I want to be content. I want to get myself to the point where if tomorrow's really a a tough day or if it's a great day, I'm ready for it either way because Jesus Christ is with me. And that's all that really matters. I'm okay. Everything else is just frosting on the cake. To live life freely that way is the greatest joy and the most fulfillment we can ever find in life. I would encourage you as you look back over the scripture, take a look at your own life and ask yourself, how content am I? You might just find out that when God took you to school to learn contentment, you learned just the opposite. You learn to rage against the dark. You learn to fight against it. You need to try to work harder to try to make it happen. Working for contentment will just drain you completely. But finding contentment will free you up to serve God and to give to God in a way that you never could otherwise, and it'll be a complete joy. It's doing what's right, but doing it for the right reasons. God would say, you know what? If you haven't learned to accept life the way it is, if it's not okay for you to be the way that you are, and you think that money's gonna help you, make you happier, keep your money, don't give it to me. He said, I only love a cheerful giver. If serving me is something that you're doing because it has to be done and you're afraid of what's gonna happen if you don't do it, God would say, don't even bother, that's okay. If you can't serve freely, if you can't give freely out of a heart of contentment, out of a heart of satisfaction in who Jesus Christ is. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your effort. Go ahead and keep buying happiness until one day you come to the end of yourself and realize it's not working. And at that time, choose contentment. I would suggest that you choose it today. The way your life is right now, where you are and who you are right now, if you can't be satisfied now, It's never going to get easier. You're never going to be more content. Accept where you are and realize you have Jesus. You're covered. You're fine. You're satisfied. As we go into a time of communion, this is a time when 
communion, as we share this in common, as we remember the body and blood of our Lord, we remember what he gave for us and the fact that he wants to be in fellowship with us. The fact that he says, partake of me, make me a part of you. I want to be as close to you as the inside of your body because he loves us that much. He wants that fellowship with us. Communion is a great opportunity for us to, in a physical way, be reminded of what contentment is. Over in Isaiah 53, when it's talking about Jesus' death, it says that the Father would see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. For by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And it really was. Everything you need, it's been done. It's accomplished. That's what communion means. He sacrificed so that we're done. We can be contented now. Now, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, there is something hugely missing. There's a reason why you can't get no satisfaction. You need Jesus Christ to come in and fill your life. Forgive your sins. It's as simple as telling him, I'm done. I can't do it. I can't find contentment. But I will give my life to you. And Jesus, if there's something that you can make of it, a way that you can salvage my life, you have my permission to do that. I believe you died for my sins. You rose from the dead. And I'm tired. I'm just exhausted trying to find contentment on my own. I give my life to you. If you decide to do that as the, as the elements are being passed out, just in your own heart, tell God, God, that's what I want to do. I want that fresh start. I want to be your child. And then when you partake communion, maybe you've had communion before, this will be a time when it means more than it's ever meant to you before. Because now for real, Jesus Christ has come into your heart, into your life. And as we partake of the elements, you will be reminded of how much he loves us, of how much he gave for us, and of the way in which he oversees our lives in a perfect way with his sovereignty. For all of us, this is the emblem, this is the reminder that God loves us so much, nothing else should matter. If the men will come forward to pass out the elements, we, everybody will hang on to them until we all have them and we'll partake together.